This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nelly. Our guest this week is House Rules Committee Chair Jim McGovern. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Massachusetts 2nd District Representative Jim McGovern next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. America's Crop Insurance Industry, providing individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Massachusetts 2nd District Representative Jim McGovern has proven himself as a voice for working Americans, a supporter of farm programs, and a staunch defender of nutrition programs. As chair of the Rules Committee, he'll work closely with Speaker Pelosi and other Democratic leaders on nearly every item considered in the House. For now, the entire government is embroiled in ending a government shutdown, and he is not shy about laying blame for the impasse. This Trump shutdown represents an all-time high in recklessness and stupidity. This is totally unnecessary. You know, he has shut down major parts of our government, including the U.S. Department of Agriculture, over a, a wall. You know, what farmers or what SNAP has to do with a border wall uh, is beyond me. But the president is willing to hold hostage American farmers and also the most vulnerable people in this country so he can advance his political agenda. And it is just it is just a rotten thing to do to the American people. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue making an announcement that the SNAP funding for the Department of Agriculture for the month of February might be resolved at least one month, the month of February. And with regard to the MFP payment for farmers that uh, SNAP was supposed to end on the 15th of the month, that that would be extended by the number of days that offices would be closed. It suggests to me that this is buying time, that this budget debate could go on for some time. Well, one is I'm glad that some of these programs will be extended, but nonetheless, the panic and the insecurity that millions of Americans are feeling because of this shutdown continues because there's no guarantee when the shutdown will end. With all due respect to Sonny Perdue, he should be on the phone telling the president, open up the government, you know, fund the Department of Agriculture, and do what is right for the American people. You know, it, it, it's that plain. It's that simple. Uh, and uh, when I hear these administration officials talk about, well, you know, we can, we can do this for another two weeks or do this for another month, that doesn't give me a lot of comfort. And Sonny Perdue ought to recognize that... Um, there'll be more people applying for SNAP because more federal workers are going to need to uh, rely on SNAP to put food on the table because his president is not paying their salaries. He shut the government down, and I think that is unconscionable. I told an audience in Illinois recently that I'm afraid that this is not the end, but perhaps the opening act of uh, budget impasse between the two parties as that there is a budget ceiling debate that is upcoming, and if it's not successful, then there's a 10% budget axe. Here's the deal. I really do believe that the House and the Senate can resolve a lot of the budget challenges that we face. You know, before 
the holidays, we were on track to, you know, fund the government. You know, the Republican-controlled Senate and the Republican-controlled House, you know, uh, you know, and with, with the support of Democrats, we came together and we said, this is, we're, we're, we're going to fund government. We're going to keep the lights on. We're going to do our job. We were, we were all set to do that. It was the president who had a temper tantrum that came in and, you know, threw a wrench in the, in, in the proceedings, uh, and that it led to the shutdown. So if the president could be, you know, locked in a room somewhere, and the House and Senate were left to their own devices, I believe we could actually get some stuff done. It won't be everything I want, but it won't be everything that some of my Republican friends in the Senate want. It will probably represent a compromise. I think we can get there, uh, but we can't get there when we have a president who can't keep his word. We have a president who behaves erratically. We have a president who seems unhinged, um, and he who behaves like a child. I mean, he's you know he's not uh, you know he's not the commander in chief. He's the whiner in chief. So then, let's think about the House and let's think about your rules committee. What are your goals? My goal is to try to you know restore some integrity to this institution, uh, and that means um, being more accommodating uh, to members, individual members, uh, in terms of the issues that they care about and what i mean by that is that is that allowing members to bring their ideas to the house floor for debate and votes um, and you know in the previous congress under the republican leadership uh... this was the most closed congress in the history of the united states of america most of the legislation that came to the floor came under the most restrictive closed processes and not only that a big chunk of the bills that came to the rules committee never had a hearing in the committee of jurisdiction never had a markup i mean we had major tax bills that came before the rules committee that never went through the ways and means committee why do we have a committee committee structure if the committees are going to be ignored and what we wrote into our house rules is that before you bring a bill to the rules committee committees of jurisdiction need to do hearings and markups so agriculture bills can't mysteriously appear in the rules committee unless the agriculture committee has done a hearing and a markup i think those two things you know we restore the committee process and we're more accommodating i think it helped create an atmosphere in the house where uh... there'll be more bipartisanship and uh, and hopefully we'll get more things done with bipartisan votes mr chairman in the recent congress in fact even before the house rules committee very tightly did limit amendments to per se the agriculture appropriations bill and it protected programs like crop insurance and title one from budget hawks how do you feel about that position given what you just suggested and the question is should that attitude continue or what would we expect for FY20 appropriations. Yeah. Well, obviously, we're going to have to see what amendments are, are being proposed uh, to the Ag Appropriations Bill. But here's my philosophy. I don't think the Rules Committee should rig the process. I mean, that's kind of the history of the Rules Committee under the Republicans, is the process has always been rigged so that people don't have an opportunity to debate important issues and even controversial issues. Look, that doesn't mean every rule has to be wide open, and that doesn't mean that some amendments shouldn't be blocked. You know, and I don't want to prejudge what we're going to do on the Ag Appropriations Bill, um, but I, I believe in fair fights. Um, and I believe that the majority, you know, ought to carry the day. And I don't believe that the Rules Committee should be a place where, you know, we intentionally block ideas that are controversial because we're afraid that they might pass. If there are items that, you know, people propose that are bad ideas, then you need to fight to defeat them. Um, if they're good ideas, then we need to fight, you know, to, to pass them. I'm not here to 
you know, to rig the process. Whether D or R, what is clear over a period of time is that there are fewer individuals elected today, whether in the House or the Senate, that really have an affinity toward agriculture and the particulars of agriculture. How do we give agriculture a fair shake in a Congress with people who don't understand the industry? What can agriculture do and, and what can leadership do to try to balance the field of debate? Well, one of the things we can do is that we can do a better job of educating our rank-and-file members. You know, I'll be honest with you. When I got on the Agriculture Committee many years ago, I represented mostly an urban and suburban district. My district over the years has been changed through redistricting. I now have urban, suburban, and rural areas. You know, I didn't know a hell of a lot about not only agriculture, but about how difficult it is to be a farmer. But I learned that on the Agriculture Committee because I had to sit through hearing after hearing after hearing. I listened to people like Colin Peterson. I listened to people like Frank Lucas. Democrat and Republican, you know, who opened my eyes to a lot of the realities. I've visited farms uh, all throughout Massachusetts. So I think we need to do a better job of not only reminding people who are well-informed about the importance of agriculture, we need to find creative and innovative ways to reach out to people who maybe don't have very, very many farms in their district. We haven't thought about these issues. And before you know, agriculture appropriations bills come to the floor, we need to do our prep work to make sure that everybody is aware of what's at stake. And some things that sound like they make sense on the surface may not make a lot of sense when you know what the facts are. And so, uh, you know, I, I have a great trust in Colin Peterson to help lead the way as we move forward. I mean, people will rely on him, you know, who's the head of our agriculture committee, to direct us on what we should do and what we shouldn't be doing on the ag appropriation bill. You know, he was a great leader uh, during this last farm bill. I don't think we would have gotten a farm bill without Colin Peterson. You know, a, a bill, by the way, that a lot of conservatives supported and liberals like me were able to support. So I'm grateful to Colin Peterson for his leadership. So what do you think the Farm Bill did pass with such a margin? Because farmers got what they needed, and people who represented urban areas of this country got what they needed. You know, it represented this kind of incredible balance between, you know, urban and rural areas. And I think Colin Peterson understood from the very beginning that if the Farm Bill turns into a political football where, you know, right-wing interests carry the day, well, you've got programs like SNAP. If you've got programs like that, don't expect somebody in an urban area to vote for a farm bill that benefits people in rural areas and vice versa. I mean, there was this, this understanding that, uh, you know, a farm bill at its best can respond to all sectors of our country. And I think the mistake that was made in this, in the House passed version of the farm bill is that the Republicans turned it into a political football, and they basically trashed the normally bipartisan process that is utilized to get a farm bill. And they wrote a farm bill that was very partisan, and quite frankly, in my opinion, because it got it snapped, was, was, was a cruel document. Luckily, we were able to take out the bad and keep the good in the uh, House-Senate Conference Committee. So House Chairman Peterson says he's going to be, quote, watching closely the implementation of the 18 Farm Bill. Of course, now rigs not being written because the USDA is not in service. But when that does happen and when those rigs are being written, Mr. Chairman, I'll ask you, what are you watching closely as to implementation in the bill that was passed? Yeah, I want to, well, I want to make sure that they follow the will of Congress. And that shouldn't be a radical idea. But with this administration, unfortunately, on too many issues, it is. They try to circumvent the will of Congress. Now, the farm bill that we passed uh, in the House and Senate with broad bipartisan support did not 
gut the SNAP program, did not go after poor people. And as soon as it was passed and signed into law, you know, we heard from the Secretary of Agriculture, you know, that they're looking at ways to basically, uh, you know, throw people off the program. And, um, you know, I'm going to be the chairman of the Rules Committee. And one of my first jobs was to write a rules package. And in the rule, as I said before, we're going to use every tool at our disposal to prevent this administration from going after poor people. But in the rule, we have written that the House Office of General Counsel it would be should be directed to explore all possible legal options for responding to the, this administration's attempt to limit access to SNAP for hundreds of thousands of hungry Americans. And, you know, we had the debate on the rules package on the floor. Former Chairman Conaway hinted that I tuck this language into the middle of the rules package so nobody would know about it. And I got up and responded, no, I didn't tuck anything into the package. In fact, I want everyone to know about it. I did a press release on it. I want to make it very clear to this administration, if you're going to go after poor people, if you're going to beat up on poor people, if you're going to try to take food benefits away from hungry people in this country, we're going to fight you and be prepared for one hell of a fight. And I will use every tool at my disposal as rules chairman to prevent them from doing anything that would harm the most vulnerable in our country. And in the rules package, we have made it clear that we will look at legal action against them. Does that mean in particular that you would add on to or file supplements to current lawsuits or that you would begin a lawsuit of your own to start that out? We will have to wait and see what the rules are that they propose because uh, it's still in the early stages, but it could mean we file our own lawsuit. Right now, uh, we are we were involved in the uh, lawsuit on the uh, Affordable Care Act. Uh, as you know, a, a Texas court uh, basically overturned some of the key provisions of the Affordable Care Act. Under normal circumstances, the Justice Department you know, should defend the law of the land. This Justice Department has decided not to, so also in the rules package, we had a provision that said that we will counter that court decision in Texas. So, uh, you know, again, we'll have to wait and see how things uh, unfold. But look, if Congress wanted to mess around with the SNAP program, if they wanted to hurt poor people, if they wanted to cut benefits, or if they wanted to throw people off the program, it would have been in the Farm Bill. And the House tried to do that, and it was rejected by the conference committee. So it's pretty clear not only what Congress did, but what Congress's intent was. And if the administration wants to circumvent that, then, you know, they should be prepared for a fight. Mr. Chairman, I'm going to ask to expand on a thought here. Okay. You, you grew up working on a, uh, in a family business, and you've been an outspoken uh, supporter uh, of, of those working families in the country. And some who oppose your position scratch their head and wonder why would we be opposed to an able-bodied American with no dependents from being limited for nutrition benefits. Can, can you help those folks understand? Yeah, so um, first of all, let's be clear about one thing. You know, the, uh, the majority of people who are on SNAP aren't, aren't expected to work because they're children, uh, they're senior citizens, or they're disabled. Of those who can work, uh, the majority of them work, but they earn so little that they still qualify for the benefit. So, you know, maybe one of the solution should be that wages ought to be fair. They ought to be able to ensure that people earn a livable wage. That's a way to reduce the number of people on SNAP. But able-bodied adults without dependents, that's a complicated population. You know, the House Agriculture Committee did 24 hearings on SNAP, and I sat through every one of them. I asked that we do a hearing on able-bodied adults without dependents, and I was rejected. And the reason why is because Republicans know that it's a nice soundbite, 
but it's a complicated population. You know, many of these people have limited educational experiences. I mean, I think about 80% of them having no more than a high school education or a GED. Some of these able-bodied adults without dependents are just aging out of foster care. Uh, some have underlying mental health issues. Uh, they have difficult histories of substance abuse, or they're ex-offenders that have nowhere else to turn. As many as 60,000 that we know of are veterans, returning veterans, who are having trouble reintegrating uh, into into society. So, I mean, these childless adults on SNAP are extremely uh, poor and often experience a chronic homelessness. I mean, this is a complicated population. So the deal is this. The majority of people who are able-bodied, who can work, are working. They're not earning enough money. The, those who aren't working, that's a complicated population. So we wanted to do a hearing because I wanted to bring some of the veterans organizations forward who could testify about veterans who are having a difficult time getting reintegrated to society after having fought halfway around the world. And as you know, this population right now already under the Welfare Reform Act, it says, you know, you could be on SNAP for three months and if you don't have a job or if you're on a work training program, you lose it for three years. That's why, you know, a lot of states have asked for waivers is because they have recognized that this is a complicated population. And the Republicans know that. But unfortunately, it doesn't comply with their press releases and the sound bites that they'd like to use, uh, demonizing this population. This is a population that doesn't need to be demonized. This is a population that needs some help and some compassion and some understanding. Then looking at hunger that is an issue in the country, and you serving as the ranking member on the, the subcommittee for nutrition last year, what do we need to do further, in your opinion, to help the hunger issue? And do you think the position that was created inside the new farm bill of a person looking at food waste can make a difference. Well, I do think that food waste is an issue that we need to to deal with because like 40% of what we grow or produce is wasted. And we need to find a way to recapture that. Um, And we need to find a way to put that toward our anti-hunger efforts. I mean, what I believe needs to happen also is that at some point, and I tried this with the Obama administration and I wasn't successful. I don't want to try it with this administration because I know the contempt they have for struggling families in this country, but at some point we need a White House that will basically put together a conference on food, nutrition, and hunger and help kind of connect all the dots and come up with a holistic strategy to end hunger in this country. The problem with this issue is that it it, it doesn't fall under the jurisdiction of one committee or one agency. It's all spread out all over the place. So there's really not one committee that wakes up every day and say, okay, how do we end hunger? How do we connect all the dots? So that's why I think, you know, White House leadership, again, not this White House, but hopefully a future White House that has a heart will come together and say, you know, we've got to solve this. I tell people all the time that hunger is a political condition. And what I mean by that is we have the food, we have the resources, we have the money. We don't have the political will to end it. And for all the attacks that my Republican friends in this administration have thrust upon SNAP, I remind them and I remind people who are critical of the program that the average SNAP benefit is about a dollar forty per person per meal. I mean, you can't even buy a Dunkin' Donuts coffee for that. And uh, forget it if you go to Starbucks. I mean, but it's just, it's like this, this, this benefit is is inadequate, which is why 
most people on SNAP end up going to food banks before the end of the month because they've run out of their benefit. So we need to take this issue of hunger more seriously. It has to be elevated. It has to be elevated to a level where somebody's focused on it. I suggested with the previous administration that perhaps they appoint a an anti-hunger czar or somebody with some gravitas in the administration who could pull all the agencies together and actually help develop this plan. But I was not successful, and I, but I think it's going to take something like that to be able to really make uh, the kind of progress on this uh, issue that I think many of us... Uh, desire. Chairman McGovern, we thank you so much for taking time and spending with us here on this edition of Open Mic. It's Open Mic. You've got the last word today. Well, thank you for having me. I, I guess my last word is that I, I'm going to be a friend of our farmers. You know, I respect what they do. They are essential to our country in a thousand different ways. We need to recognize their importance more, and we need to have their backs. And I certainly will do that, you know, in my capacity as chairman of the Rules Committee. I'm going to work closely with a lot of my colleagues who are from farm states. I, my, I have an open-door policy, so I mean, people will come in here who have issues that they want to talk to me about. I, I want them to come in. When we construct rules on appropriations bills or other bills that impact agriculture, uh, we're going to make sure that we do so, always remembering how important our farmers are. And at the same time, I am also going to be a voice for programs like SNAP and nutrition programs. We need to end hunger in this country, and farmers play an important role in doing that. And I will certainly be a, a, a strong proponent of defending our nutrition programs, and I am going to fight anybody who tries to mess around with them or screw around with them because I have no tolerance anymore for this callous attitude that somehow the poor in this country don't matter. We're also going to look at the um, health impacts of hunger, and we're going to you know, try to kind of expand this discussion beyond just making sure people have food, but also to make sure people understand that there's a real cost to not addressing the issue of hunger, and that if we deal with the issue of nutrition properly, that we can actually save money in terms of positive health care outcomes. Uh, in any event, I'm excited about the upcoming year. I want this sh- government shutdown to end now, <laughs> and I hope by the time this airs that maybe there's something good to report, but in any event, and the issues that I championed on the Ag Committee are going to remain near and dear to my heart on the Rules Committee. Our thanks to House Rules Committee Chair, Massachusetts Representative Jim McGovern, our guest this week on the Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.